Let's open up our Bibles this morning to Psalm 38. Now, it's, it's okay to admit it today. How many of you used to watch Hee Haw when it was on? Okay, it's good, it's good. Uh, I, I don't think I fully grasped all the significance of Hee Haw. Um, but, you know, there's one song that sticks in my mind. And, and you know, they would come out and they would sing, uh, Gloom, despair, and agony on me. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Okay. We don't believe in luck, but we get the gloom and despair part. Uh, we have gloom and despair today. Okay. As I said, this is the first Sunday in Lent. And Lent is a time to reflect and to prepare and to, as this is a psalm of lament, to lament about our sins. To lament about the things that go around, uh, around us and to prepare us for the coming of the crucifixion of Christ and through into his resurrection and the great joys that, that come there. And, and throughout the, the season of Lent, some people will fast um, uh, you know, one day a week. Some people will fast uh, for almost all of Lent. And fasting is not just dieting. Remember that. We don't fast so that we can lose weight. That's like, who wants the stomach flu just to lose 10 pounds? Okay? Uh, we don't do it for that reason. We do it so that when we fast, we, in those times that we would eat, we would read the word and we would spend in prayer. And it's a, it's a question of what runs our lives. Does, does the Lord run our lives or do our appetites run our lives? So um, if you are fasting some portion of Lent, uh, it is really a time of, of uh, focus and of almost of cleansing of your soul to examine it and to, to lay it before the Lord. So we come to Psalm 38, and this is one of those psalms that is a lament psalm in Scripture. So if you're able, would you stand with me, and I'll read Psalm 38. Lord, as we read your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would descend upon us and open our eyes and open our hearts. So, Lord, that we not just read the words, but we understand them and that they penetrate us. They demonstrate your character and your call upon our lives. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This is Psalm 38, a psalm of David for a memorial. O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath and chasten me not in thy burning anger. For thine arrows have sunk deep into me and thy hand has pressed down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities are gone over my head. As a heavy burden, they weigh too much for me. My wounds grow foul and they fester. Because of my folly, I am bent over and greatly bowed down. I go mourning all day long. For my loins are filled with burning and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am benumbed and badly crushed. I groan because of the agitation of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before thee, and my sighing is not hidden from thee. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, even has, that has gone from me. 
My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague, and my kinsmen stand afar off. Those who seek my life lay snares for me, and those who seek to injure me have threatened destruction, and they devise treachery all day long. But I, like a deaf man, do not hear, and I am like a dumb man who does not open his mouth. Yes, I am a man, I am like a man who does not hear, and whose mouth are no arguments. For I hope in thee, O Lord, thou wilt answer, O Lord my God. For I said, May they not rejoice over me, who, when my foot slips, would magnify themselves against me. For I am ready to fall, and my sorrow is continually before me. For I confess my iniquity, I am full of anxiety because of my sin. But my enemies are vigorous and strong, and many are those who hate me wrongfully. And those who repay evil for good, they oppose me because I follow what is good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, do not be far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. This is God's inspired word for us this morning. So please be seated. The lament, which this psalm is, is really a very practical piece of scripture for us. You might read it and go, well, David's having a hard time, and, and that's awful. He must have done something terrible there. Great. Let me, let me go to something that's more interesting. The, the lament is a tool which is used to cry out to God. It is not just the ramblings uh, when somebody is angry with God. It is not just uh, a stream of consciousness to say, Lord, what in the world are you doing? Can't you get this right? Don't you see everybody else is just wants my life and see how terrible things are? It's, it's not that. And we'll see in a moment that there is a, a real structure to a lament. There are pieces to it, and it has a very clear purpose. Um, it gives voice to the pain in our hearts. It gives voice to the chaos that, that sometimes hits our lives. It is a chance for us to speak to the Lord and to let him know what is going on in our hearts. Now, let him know what's going on in our hearts. Doesn't he already know what's going on in my heart? Yes, he does. Okay, and we'll see how that David kind of grows in that throughout this psalm. But in our confessing and our lamenting to the Lord, it is also a raising of those things before our own eyes. It is a speaking of what is actually happening in our life and the struggle that we're going through. And as we cry out to the Lord, we look for answers from the Lord because he is the one that we can get answers from. But it is also a chance to see, oh, you know, look at my heart, Lord. Is there anything wrong here? Do I need to examine what is going on in my own life? So maybe that's part of the reason these struggles are here. Well, an introduction to a lament, as, as we will see here, begins and it addresses the Lord, and it is a call for help. Don't rebuke me, don't chasten me, as we'll see here, uh, and we'll expand on that in a moment. Um, an introduction to a lament, as I said, it has a, the lament has a specific structure to it. Um, it um, might be a single line, it might be a, a whole paragraph, 
but it calls out to the Lord. It addresses the Lord. Okay? It, there's no sense in just talking to the wall because the wall is not going to help you. If you're going to lament, if you're going to pour out your heart, you might as well pour out your heart and your problems and bring your questions to the one who knew you and formed you in your mother's womb. Who better to hear the cries of our heart than the one who has made us, the one who knows every hair on our head? And then usually the lament lays out the issues that uh, the, 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 the psalmist, in this case David, is struggling with. Um, and there are three people who are always included in a lament. That's the writer of the psalm, the Lord, and the one who is persecuting, the one who is the cause of the trouble. It might look like this. The psalmist says, I am in despair for you have forgotten me, and they have surrounded me. Okay? So you've got the author, the Lord, and those who are doing the bad things who have surrounded him. And to understand the situation that, that motivates a lament here is important. And why does the psalmist need deliverance by the Lord? Okay? Well, it might be a recounting of the sorrows. It might be a cry for help. Uh, the same title of Psalm 38 is used in Psalm 70. And in Psalm 70, the, David is just pouring his heart out to the Lord. Okay, it's, it's almost, we think, well, who do we pour our hearts out to today? Well, we can do it to our spouse or we can go to a, a counselor and pay a hundred and a quarter an hour to pour our hearts out. Or, or we can get on our knees and pour our hearts out to the Lord. Uh, I thought, you know, I don't buy pants like this because... I don't like them. How about that? But if, if the, the jeans today with the holes in them, okay, and, and I was in the airport uh, this past week, and a girl came by, and she had holes in her knees. And my first thought was, man, she must pray a lot. And then I thought, no, no, that's a fashion statement. That's, that's not a, a theological statement. <laughs> okay. Um, so this is a point in David's history where he's, uh, something has happened in his life. And my guess is that he has done something that he feels has brought this illness upon himself. That there is some sin involved, some bad thing that David has done, and he understands this suffering as a result of that sin. Now, almost every lament psalm has a section, and we'll call it the God is able section, okay? where the psalmist cries out and says, God, I know you are able to fix this. I know you can deal with this. That is why I'm coming to you. Okay? So this is the God who is able section. Uh, and it is appropriate and it is good to ask God any hard question that we have. Lord, why am I suffering? Why am I struggling? Okay, why do these things happen to me? That is the place to go. And, and it's not as if the Lord is suddenly shocked. How could you ask me these questions? Don't you trust me? Well, yes, Lord, I trust you. That's why I'm coming to you. Now, the answer might be that you've done something stupid and that's why you're suffering. Okay, uh, Because that happens. We all do stupid things. It might be that it is no fault of your own and suffering has just simply come upon you because of the acts of others. Or it may be that the Lord, as in the sense of Job, and we'll see in other places, that the Lord brings this upon you for his particular reason. 
I have a reason I want you to go through this. Well, great, Lord. What is that reason? I have a reason I'm not telling you why you're going through this because I've got places for you to go and things for you to do and there's a person I want you to be and the only way you're going to get there is if you go through this struggle and you go through it not knowing why you're through it until the end if ever. Well, can't you have somebody else do that stuff? Because I don't want to go through all this, but yet that's what the Lord does. And we cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm dying here. I mean, how many of us have prayed this prayer? Lord, don't you care? I'm dying here. Everything is a mess here, okay? Like David, my enemies seem to surround me. They lay snares for me. Everything is going downhill and down the tubes. Lord, are you not looking at me? Are you not paying any attention to me? Of course, the answer is yes, he is. And he's allowing those things to happen because he has a goal for you. Lament psalms really are some of the most practical psalms that we find. Because we all go through this kind of stuff. We all have these days when we just want answers from the Lord. And we just want to cry out. And we want to tell the Lord what we really think about his plan in our lives. Because at this moment, we think his plan is pretty poor. But yet, that's said with eyes that are finite, not according to his infinite plan. The psalmist will then still ask for deliverance, and he will seek the Lord. It may be a petition, Lord, hear my prayer, and Lord, intervene. We see sometimes they're often like that. And the most common reason given in the lament psalms for the Lord to intervene is the Lord's character. It's a reflection of the Lord's character to come and care for his children who are in despair. That is a reflection of who the Lord is, a reflection of the promises that he makes to us, that we will never be out of his care. Yes, we may struggle, but we are still within his hands in the midst of that care. And often David will will come out and say, Lord, failure to intervene is a bad reflection on your character. There are four specific types of laments, the personal lament, and we've all kind of done that. And then the corporate lament, we might see that in uh, the life of Israel or um, uh, the lament, so to speak, in seeking for repentance. Jonah comes to Nineveh and, and preaches this sermon, and everybody, including the king and the cattle and the animals, they all dress in sackcloth, and they have a corporate lament about their sin. There is the confessional lament, Lord, it's my fault, I've done this, can you come and care for me? And then my uh, personal favorite, the imprecatory lament, which is, Lord, I'm struggling, and because I'm struggling because of my enemies, now will you come and bring disaster upon my enemies? How many of us have prayed that the Lord would strike somebody down. (laughs) Lord, here I am, and it's their fault. My enemies surround me. Come and bring destruction upon my enemies. Hmm. David in Psalm 109 says this, May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. Now that's, there's no mincing words there. I have not prayed that that prayer in particular that that way but david he doesn't he doesn't question he just prays lord destroy this guy can't you see because it, it, it as david sees it the attack 
on David. David, who is a what? A man after God's own heart. And, and we'll see that David is hated and David has enemies because he is holy. Because he desires the things of God. And so when David sees persecution and he sees his enemies uh, succeeding against him, he sees it as an affront to the very call of, by the Lord on his life and the character of the Lord as well. Um, now, I'm, I might not like my enemies just because uh, they're not like me or, or I, I don't want them to get the upper hand. It may not be an affront to the character of God. So I probably won't pray this prayer, but you never know. You never know. So let's look at Psalm 38 in particular. It is a lament song. It is a penitential song where I'm sorry for things. I'm lamenting this, this what's come upon me, and I'm also sorry for all that, ha- that I have done to cause this. Uh, this has very particular structure to it, uh, not just as a lament song, but this psalm in particular. Um, it has very short and, and structured phrases. So it's, it's almost like bullet points as you go through the psalm. That's how we would uh, call it today. It's mizmor in the Hebrew, and that kind of means, um, uh, somebody said, pruned from all superfluity of words. Whew. Okay? wish I could use superfluity more in my daily conversations. Okay? So, so David lays this out, and, and look, he prays, and he complains, and he prays, and he complains, and he prays and complains. And, but in each prayer, he does better. Okay, so in verse 1, we have this, this prayer. 2 through 8, we have a long complaint about what's going on. Verse 9, we have a prayer. 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14, we have a complaint. 15, we have a prayer. 16 through 20, we have a complaint. And then the last two verses are a prayer. And in each prayer, as I said, he seems to know more about the Lord, seems to have more confidence in what the Lord is doing. And it's, it's a progression of David's spiritual life in this psalm. Now, we don't know how, how long it took him to write this psalm, whether he just sat down on day one and in 20 minutes cranked it out, or whether he would write and then go off and then come back and write some more and, 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 and things like that. But there is a progression of his spiritual growth here. And in the midst of all that spiritual growth, we'll never find the word easy. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be nice if spiritual growth was easy? Wouldn't it be nice if you could wake up one day and just run a marathon? Okay, would it just be just be great? Oh, I feel like I'm going to run 26 plus miles today and get out and run it. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to run it to the mailbox. That's my start. Okay, that'll get me to get. That's the first baby step. Okay, it's the same way in spiritual growth. It it doesn't come easy. We, we like to think, well, if the Lord loves us and the Lord cares for us, then he'll bring these things upon us and it'll be good and it'll be easy. No, it's just not the way it works. You want to grow, you have to work at it. You want to grow, you have to trust the Lord. Um, you want to know why these things come upon you, you have to go to him and you have to ask and you have to pour out your heart and sometimes you have to wait. Sometimes you have to wait days, weeks, years, sometimes your entire life, if ever, you will get an answer about this particular issue in your life, okay? And you must decide, will I trust the Lord in this sorrow? Will I trust the Lord in the midst of this struggle that I am in? There's a 
the book that a lot of couples use called Love is a Decision. Trusting the Lord in this sense is a decision as well. You're either going to say, Lord, you're my God, and you have changed my life, and you have given me salvation, and I don't know why I'm struggling, but I will trust you today. And then you get up tomorrow, and your thing, your situation hasn't changed, and you say again, Lord, I'm going to trust you today. It has to be a decision that you will rest in him. You will be patient as the Lord works these things out in you. You have to make that decision each and every day. Now, this psalm, the verse, verse, and really the content of the psalm is almost identical to Psalm 6. So we think that Psalm 38 is the first psalm in this little section because we think it's the same uh, stress or same struggle that David is having because at the end he looks forward to the Lord bringing a conclusion to this. And in Psalm 6, the Lord has brought a conclusion to it and he's thanking the Lord for it. So Psalm 38 is really first. Psalm 6 is the conclusion of this issue. Okay. Um, John Calvin writes about about this song, and it's not that David doesn't doesn't he doesn't like it, but it's not that he doesn't mind the rebuke. He just doesn't want the anger and wrath of God. Okay, he doesn't want the anger. Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath; chasten me not in thy burning anger. Okay, he knows that there is rebuking and chastening to be done. He just doesn't want the wrath and the burning anger of the Lord. Okay, he it, it's. It's, okay, yes, I, I, I wrecked the car, Dad, but don't ground me for the rest of my life. Okay, something like that. I've, yes, I've done wrong, and, and I'm, I'm going to face that. But don't afflict me, Lord, with more than I'm able to bear. Okay. So John Calvin says, David does not expressly ask that his affliction should be removed, only that God would moderate his chastisements. I mean, all men would naturally desire that permission should be granted them to sin with impunity. Wouldn't we love that? There's no consequence to our sin. That's kind of our nature. We'd love that. But David lays a restraint upon his desire and does not wish the favor and indulgence of God to be extended beyond measure. Lord, I'm not willing, I'm not unwilling to be chastised. Just don't afflict me with more than I'm able to bear. And we know in the promises, especially in the writings of Paul, says the Lord won't afflict us with more than we are able to bear. And we think, oh, I don't know if I can bear the next day. But here we have that lives within us the things of Christ through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We have the Holy Spirit that lives within us. So it would be like... If I brought a Coke can up here that I had opened and drank all of it and sat it there, and what could I do to that can in my massive strength, right? Just crush it like that. And then over here I have a Coke can that I haven't opened yet. You ever try to crush a Coke can that has not been opened? Okay, why? Because there's something inside that fills it. Here the can is empty and can be crushed and smashed. And here the can is full. And that's like those who are full of the Lord, full of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we can press it and we can go like that. And that's what the things of the world will often do to us. But because of the presence of the Lord in our lives, we cannot be crushed. 
We cannot be crushed. And you think, you haven't been where I've been, Rand. Well, but you're still here. Okay? You're still here. So the first complaint that David does in verses 2 through 8, he uses basically the word because of three times. So we get the idea that his problem is because of something that he has done. And it's not laid out for us. But, um, you know, sometimes our suffering is a result of what I've done. Now, now I, I come in on a Sunday morning, and here I am, I'm bleeding. And, and I say, well, I got shot over the weekend. You say, well, what happened, Rand? And I say, well, you know, I've been praying the Lord would, would heal me here. But uh, I'm still bleeding, and it's all gooey. And then you say, well, what happened? I say, well, I was robbing a bank, and the police shot me. My fault, right? Well, Lord, heal my side where the hole is. Well, Rand, you did it yourself. It's your fault. Okay, you robbed the bank. You got shot. Uh, Lord, provide for my family. Uh, we have nothing to eat this week. Why? Well, I cheated on my taxes, and uh, now I'm bankrupt. It's my fault. Okay, there are things that come into our lives that are our fault, and we suffer for those. Okay, but then there are things like Job. Job, it wasn't Job's fault, but it was a demonstration to Satan of a man's love for God, even though God wasn't providing him this laundry list of blessings. I mean, it's easy to love the Lord when you're being blessed. It's hard to love the Lord when everything's being taken away from you. Okay? Then you have John 9, the man born blind. Remember? Why was he born blind? So that the works of God might be demonstrated in his life. He was blind from his birth and for probably 20-some years was blind, never knowing why he was blind. And then along comes Jesus and explains it to him so that the works of God might be manifest in his life. Spurgeon says, There is no psalm which more fully describes human nature as seen when God convinces us of our sin. See, sometimes our, our suffering is simply a result of sin. There is sin in the world, and we will suffer because of it. Child of God, this is Spurgeon again, let me bring to your remembrance the fact that you are by nature no better than the vilest of the vile. Children of wrath, even as others are we. Even you who are favored by divine grace to enter into rich fellowship with Christ are no better naturally, no better naturally, not while we're in Christ, but no better naturally than the lost spirits in hell. There was no difference at birth and no intrinsic essential difference of moral constitution between Peter and Judas. What was the difference between those two? Jesus says to Peter, I have prayed for you. He doesn't say that to Judas. Jesus intervened in the life of Peter. We have grown in grace. Had we been left to ourselves, we would have rotted in sin. It is well to bring to the remembrance of the child of God that although his past sin is all blotted out and he is justified by faith, which is in Jesus Christ, yet there still remains in him the old body of death. Sin no longer reigns in our lives, but still remains in our lives. And the holier the Christian becomes, the more readily he perceives his imperfections and the wickedness of his sins. And sin, instead of becoming more bearable to a Christian, becomes growingly more and more intolerable. Do you understand that? The more you grow in the things of Christ, 
the more intolerable sin should be in your life. David had enemies. Why? Because he was growing in the things of Christ. He was growing in his knowledge of the Lord. He was growing closer to the Lord. He hated sin more. He had more enemies because his life was demonstrating holiness. Not perfectness, but holiness. So you cry out to the Lord, Lord, here I am. I'm in the midst of this. Are you not paying attention to me? What am I supposed to think? Lord, what do you, what's going on here? And I have three little things for you that you might have to ask yourself if you're in the midst of struggle. Of course, the first one is, is this my fault? Did I rob the bank and get shot? Have I done something to get off track and God is using this as a means of, of getting my attention and pulling me back? Now, so often the answer to this one is obvious, and we just don't like to look at the answer. It is clear we are off track somewhere in our lives, and we are struggling because of that, but we have so blinded ourselves to our own sin and our own weaknesses that we just don't like to look at that. Okay, We just don't want to go there. So we want to blame it on something else in our lives, but it is obvious we've got this problem here. Secondly, we have to say, uh, is the Lord using this sickness or this calamity to maybe knock off some rough edges in my life? Hmm. Perhaps I'm not very sensitive to the plight of others. Perhaps I'm not very compassionate. Perhaps I'm so filled with myself that the only way really to to learn this lesson is to get the proverbial two-by-four of spiritual attention getting across the forehead. And now the Lord has my attention. Number three, perhaps God is using your suffering as a stage for his glory. That's what Job was going through. It's a stage for his glory. And you think, well, Lord, couldn't you demonstrate your glory in somebody else's life for a while? Because I think I've got enough of that yet. And I know some, some of us have been dealt dealing with pain and dealing with suffering and illnesses and family issues and personal struggles for so long. You're wondering, Lord, when will I have demonstrated enough of your glory in my life in the midst of these struggles that you can move on? Well, the answer is apparently no. The Lord has said you have not. I still have my glory to manifest in your life. You are the instrument through which the glory of the Lord will be demonstrated, and that glory will be seen in how you deal with these terrible struggles, illnesses, calamities, whatever they may be in your life. How you deal with it and how you flourish even in the midst of it. So David takes a step here. Look at verse 9. He says, Lord... All my desire is before thee, and my sighing is not hidden from thee. This is David's learning that no matter where he is or what he's doing, the Lord is sovereign. The Lord knows what's going on in his life. Now, we can look back at this through the lens of the New Testament, all the Old Testament, and say, well, of course, David, didn't you understand that God is sovereign? Well, this is a growing process. He didn't have the scripture, all the scripture that we have. He is learning the character of God. He is learning that the Lord is always there. He is learning that that he never abandons us. He is learning what the attributes of God are in the midst of this struggle, in the midst of all that he is going through. And, And sometimes we don't know what to say when we come across somebody who is struggling. And so often... People who are in sickness, people who are in, in 
struggle or disease. Studies show that as in, in irrational as it is, that we are often afraid to go to spend time with people in the midst of that because we might get it. Okay? Now, as I said, it is very irrational. Yes, the, the individual has, has a disease which is, cannot be caught, but I don't want to go there because some portion of my mind thinks it might rub off on me or they've had a calamity in their life, and I don't want to go spend time with them because I may end up in that same calamity. So they become isolated. They become alone. And David is, is sharing some of this here, that he feels somewhat isolated, but yet he knows the Lord is there in the midst of that. Turn over to the first part of Psalm 37. 37, written by David as well, is, is really advice for people who are in David's situation in Psalm 38. Okay, look, let's look at the first couple uh, verses of Psalm 37. Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious towards wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. And he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Okay, now flip over to verse 34 of that same psalm. It says, wait for the Lord. And keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. Okay? David is giving advice on how to deal with struggles in 37. And here by uh, verse 9 or so, he is starting to, in 38, he is starting to take his own advice. Okay? He has written Psalm 37 prior to 38. And now maybe he's thinking back to his own writing and going, you know... Maybe I ought to simply rest in the Lord. Maybe I ought to, you know, rejoice in him a little bit. He says, Lord, all my desires before thee. My sighing is not hidden. You know what's going on in my life. The measure of the, Psalm 37, the message is to trust in God and wait for his deliverance. Psalm 38, David is learning to trust in God and wait for his deliverance. Okay? Now, not all of us are good waiters. Okay? Some of us wait worse than others. Okay? As I said, I was, I, was, I was in Denver earlier in the week, and all the flights were delayed, and the one flight in Denver coming back to Nashville was, you know, it was supposed to leave till 7.30, and it didn't leave until 10 o'clock Denver time. That means 11 o'clock Nashville time, and we got on the flight, and the guys, uh, you know, I think my guess is that they had been overserved in the waiting area, uh, and they were in the back of the plane just bemoaning and complaining every little thing. We couldn't pull across, we couldn't get away from the gate uh, for 10 more minutes, and they, you should have heard them, you know, shouting in the back. And I thought, uh, if I was an air marshal, I'd just come back and shot them right, right there. Because, <laughs> you know, you can't pull away from the gate without permission. And, and that permission is only good for so long, and our permission had expired, and they bemoaned the fact that we couldn't get away, and then they, we went out, and there we are, you know, they back us out, and then we have to wait for the engines to start. They said, can't you start the engine any faster? And it's going on and on and on like that. They didn't wait very well, okay? They did not wait very well. But that's one of the things that we're called to do, is to wait on the Lord sometimes. And, you know, David, he's king. Kings don't wait, right? 
They have their schedule. You come and you get on their schedule. They set the time. When are you going to be there? You're going to be there when I say you're going to be there. Now, how did David learn to wait? There he was out in the field with the sheep. Samuel comes to his dad's house, Jesse. And Samuel is anointed, or David is anointed the next king. It was 20 years, I think, before he became king. Okay, he had to wait. It was seven years that he ruled in Hebron before he could unite his kingdom that the Lord had promised him all those years before. He had learned to wait upon the Lord. He says, Lord, it is part of your character. I will wait. David is learning and is leaving, in a sense, the outcome of his sickness and his trial in the hand of the Lord, whom he has waited on so many times and who is found to be faithful. David gives us five reasons, which I'm not going to cover because he's covered them all in the psalm before, why the Lord should answer him. And what he's really doing is, just as I said, rehashing what has gone on before. It's not right my enemies should gloat. Things are desperate in my life, Lord. I have confessed my sin. It's me against everybody else. And I have been nice to them, and now they are slandering me. Why does David have so many enemies? Because his life is reflecting more and more of the holiness of the believer. Remember that the ultimate result of Christianity is to make peace everywhere. The first result is to cause strife. The ultimate end of Christianity is peace. I mean, we see that. The Lord returns. There there is a peace. But the first result of Christianity is strife. It will divide husband and wife, father and son, mother and daughter. It will divide families. That's the gospel. Some will believe and they will go this way. Others will not and they will go this way. David has enemies because he loves what is good. He has gone this way. His enemies are not. And then at the end, he makes his final prayer. Jump down to verse uh, 20, 21. And remember, the prayers come in 1 and 9 and 15 and here at the end. And this is, this is uh, real maturity in, in the sense of what David has gone through. Do not forsake me, O Lord, O my God. Do not be far from me. Make haste to my help, O Lord, my salvation. Spurgeon says, frequently we pray that God would not forsake us in the hour of our trial and temptation. But we too much forget that we need to use this prayer at all times. There is no moment of our life, however holy, in which we can do without his constant upholding. Whether in light or in darkness, in communion or in temptation, we alike need the prayer, forsake me not, O Lord. What would happen if a shepherd forsook a lamb or a parent forsook a child? Forsake me not at any moment in my life. Forsake me not in my joys, lest they absorb my heart. Forsake me not in my sorrows, lest I murmur against thee. Forsake me not in the day of my repentance, let's lest I lose the hope of pardon and fall into despair. Forsake me not in the day of my strongest faith, lest faith degenerate into presumption. Forsake me not, for without thee I am weak, and without thee, but with thee I am strong. Forsake me not, for my path is dangerous and full of snares, 
and I cannot do without your guidance. Forsake me not, O Lord. He will not forsake us. Let's pray. O gentle Savior, don't forget us. Don't forsake us. We know your promises that you won't. But so often we get in the midst of things in this world and we get what appears to be tunnel vision that we we, we seem to forget and, and we seem to be so focused on the issue at hand that we forget your care. We forget your promises. And we realize that we don't always get the answer we want, nor do we get the answer in the timetable that we want. But that does not negate your promise to be with us, to care for us, and to use what it is that we are going through for our own good. That in the midst of it, we will learn. In the midst of it, we will be disciplined. In the midst of it, we will trust. And then at the end, we will be able to look back and see what you have done. See that now we can run the marathon. For when we started, we could only get to the mailbox. You have strengthened us. You have supported us. And in the midst of all those trials, we have grown. O Lord, the God of our salvation. It is in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen.